North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. It all began in the fall of 1981. See, some people never find what I found. Walking onto my college campus on the first weekend of school, I saw her. She was walking down the center of campus, and I was with an older student in my dorm room looking out the window when I saw her. Turning to my friend, I said, I'm going to marry that girl. He, had, he looked out the window at the girl walking down the middle of campus, and he turned to me and said, no, you're not. That's Jane. She's the most spiritual girl on campus, and you don't have a chance. The following week, I found out that she was on my sister floor, and we'd be seeing a lot of each other. As a matter of fact, she went, up, she went to my first football game with her sister floor and fell in love with my chicken legs, as she calls it. On the second weekend of school, I walked into the cafeteria, and I saw her seated at a table with her sophomore friends. Walking through the line, I kept my eye on her to make sure she didn't leave before I was seated at her table. Noticing she had a couple of seats left at her table, my friend and I sat down with those strangers, and this is where my personality kicked into high gear. Looking at Jane in front of all of her friends, her sophomore friends, I sat down next to her and introduced myself. And then I asked, what's your name? She replied, Jane, and she promptly continued eating her meal without looking at me. I knew right there that it was love at first sight. My reply was confident. Great to meet you, Jane. Do you know that you are the second girl I've met at college, and two is my lucky number? I really did say that. <laughs> Needless to say, the whole table was in disbelief. I still don't believe I said that, but I didn't back down. The chances of that working were pretty low. But in that conversation at our first lunch, I did find out where Jane went to church, and I felt called there the next week. <laughs> I made sure that when I went there the following Sunday that I sat close to her. As I walked into the sanctuary that morning, I noticed that there was a row in front of her friends. That morning, I worshiped like I had never worshiped before, just so that she would realize that I was spiritual. After the service, I walked up to her and her friends, and I could see it on their faces. Oh, no, it's the guy from the day before. I thought to myself, well, I'm all in now. And I said to her, Jane, what are you doing tonight? I think her friends realized what was going on. They said, she's doing nothing. I could see it in her eyes that it was terror and disbelief. But she didn't make anything up. So I said to her, would, would you like to go out tonight? And one of them said, well, Jane goes to church on Sunday night. I said, well, so do I. Not really. I picked her up that evening on our first date. Well, that's what I called it. We dated for the next 34 years. 31 of those years, we were married. We had three children and a grandchild and another one uh, on the way. We were in youth ministry together for 31 years. We built a youth ministry from the ground up. We pastored hundreds of churches, uh, students in a mega church. We planted churches uh, at the university campus. We taught youth majors in a university for 10 years. 
And recently we created a youth leadership organization that studies youth, youth for uh, the church in relating to them. And that is where it all ended. See, some people never find what I lost. December 18, 2015, as we were beginning this new organization, Jane passed away after battling cancer for the previous 16 months. It rocked our Western mindset that viewed our marriage as near perfect and our family as untouchable. We really had only known harmony as a couple, satisfaction with our kids and fulfillment in our work. And this is where I had the first-hand glimpse of my broken palace. At the time, I first began to think, with Jane gone, I would never have my best friend to speak with daily. We would never be able to make our dates public as we used to. I would never kiss her again. My last child would not have his mother at his wedding. Our grandchildren yet to be born would not know their grandmother. When Jane passed away, it changed everything. And yet, everything is so much the same. I know I'm not the only one in this room that has gone through hardship. I know in this room there are people who have gone through tragedy and difficulty just like I did. I know there are some of you in this room that have problems beyond what I've gone through. I know there are people in this room, teenagers, who are addicted. Addicted to drugs or porn. I know there are young adults in this room who think, what am I going to do with my life? I know there are parents in this room who wish that your child was here this morning. I know there are married couples in this room who wish that you could look at your spouse and say, I love you. You can't even remember the last time you spoke those words to him or her. I know we have a lot of problems in the room, but I want you to know God can handle anything. God is not intimidated by darkness. God is not intimidated by your situation. God is not looking at what you're going through thinking, oh no, what am I going to do next? It's not like God is speaking to Jesus seated at his right hand going, man, I don't know. I mean, you see this, what are we going to do about that? And Jesus with his, right, his hands over his face going, oh, I don't know. You got another son or something? What are we going to do? See, I believe that God does his greatest work in the midst of our greatest need. Did you hear me? I believe that God does his greatest work in the midst of our greatest need. I want you to go to Job chapter 1. Will you do that? Job chapter 1. I want to take the story of Job and the story of what my family has gone through. I read it uh, out of my book that you can get in the uh, lobby afterwards. The book is called Hashtag If Job Had Twitter. And this message is, this is just one of the first few times I've spoken this, I uh, share with the team. Uh, I think this is only the, the second, maybe the third time that I've done this entire message. I believe that what you are going through is very similar to what I went through. And I believe that God has something for each one of you in this room, from the front to the back, from a guest to a charter member of this church to a staff member. I believe that God wants to speak to us about some things that we're going through. 
and about the truths and the nature, hear me, the nature and the character of God. See, God cannot be somebody he is not. God cannot be somebody he is not. And in Job, we find the story, this famous story of a man who, even though everything started out great, went through some unbelievable catastrophe. And I want to take his story and put it alongside of our story. And I want to bring your story into the midst of this whole thing in the next half hour. And then we're going to spend some time praying. Because I believe that what happens in moments like this can transform your thinking that will transform your living. Did you hear me? I believe in moments, suddenlies happen throughout all of Scripture where God comes in and does something in people's lives. And in that moment, everything was changed, right? I believe that we're going to see that in your life this morning. Look at Job 1. Let me start reading in verse uh, 6 of Job chapter 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? What are you doing here? So Satan answered the Lord and said, I've been going to and fro on the, the whole earth, and I've been walking back and forth on it, looking for someone to destroy, right? And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none, none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil? Have you... And, Right, I mean, you think this description, and I don't know if you've ever had those thoughts, like, what does God think about me? Well, God loved Job. God had the highest thoughts for Job. And yet he allowed this situation to take place. And after God said that, that he, he's, he, he loves me, he's faithful to me, he's not going to turn it, Satan says, oh yeah? Oh really? Look at the next verse. Satan answered the Lord and said to him, does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now if you were to stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to your face. Isn't it awfully bold of Satan? I mean, first of all, think about this. Look at what Satan said. Satan said, you have blessed him. I mean, if I'm God, I'd be thinking, mm-hmm, you're right. Thank you. You ever think about, thank you, Satan, for the truth. You put your hand on him. You protected him. Do you, do you see what's coming out of the liar's mouth? What, what he's saying is, well, I recognize, I recognize your power over his life. Right? It's almost like in trying to do evil, Satan realizes he has a limit. And God, God says, go ahead. Right? Go ahead. Make my day. Something, I don't know. I don't know if he's, he didn't really say that. but And God says, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person, his soul. Isn't that an interesting thought? That God cares more, hear me, God cares more about your soul than your body. 
I didn't say he didn't care about your body. I mean, you know, God made your body. But I'm telling you, what's more important to you is your soul. And how your soul responds in this situation is very important. Listen, I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I, I attempt to deal with that in one of the chapters. I'm not going to talk about that this morning. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. But I do know this. You are not alone. I do know this. God is good. And he cannot be something he is not. Listen, sometimes we have to answer things like, why does evil happen? And we have to answer it with, with these kind of words. First, I don't know. And neither do you. I don't know. I don't know why Job went through. I don't know why I don't have Jane here anymore. Number two, be around godly people and you'll understand it better. Right? Three, life just happens. And sometimes God has nothing to do with it. Sometimes he does, like this situation. But most of the time, life just happens. If I walk up to a wall and I smash the wall, right, or I walk up to someone and I, and I cuss them out or I, I, I give them the what for, right, or whatever, and I address them that way, is that God's fault? We're not robots. You know, maybe things happen to make us better and not bitter. Every athlete in the room knows no pain, no gain. Every farmer in the house knows I have to take that seed, bury it in the ground, and I may not see it again. I don't know what's going to happen, but he gets that, he yields that harvest. Every soldier in the, in the room knows that when he or she goes to basic training, it's going to hurt, but it's better for them because it will prepare them for the battle. Then why would we not see that God can handle anything in our life? I think partly because we're snowflakes. Yeah. That's what, the, that's what they call you. They call you snowflakes. Do you, you realize that? I said that to a teenager one time, and, and the teenager looked at me and he was like, oh, cool. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not a compliment. I mean, you're unique, right? Unique. And there's nobody like you. You're special, but you're fleeting and you're passing. You're here today, gone tomorrow. You're seasonal. And we lack sometimes the fortitude and we lack sometimes the foreknowledge, the understanding of who God is in every situation. Do you think that if God blessed Job, that he could not be with him when he was cursed? You see, there are only two conversations between God and Satan in the Bible, one in the Old Testament here and one in the New Testament. God won both times. He's 2-0. and oh. When I look at what happened in Job's life and Satan's release on him, you, I'm not going to read the whole story, but in the next few verses, after God gives Satan permission to go this far and no more, hear me, that same Resistance 
that was given, that same resistance that was given to Satan against Job is yours also. God has given Satan the same kind of resistance for you. Word after word comes, right? These mess- five messengers come. Your cattle, all gone. I'm the only one left to tell you. Your, your homes and all of your, your, your houses destroyed. I'm the only one left to tell you. They came and took your donkeys. They came and took your, uh, your produce. They came. Everything's gone. I'm the only one. To, over and over these bad reports come. And finally one comes and says, your children, they're all gone. And your wife, even his wife, separated from him. Job stands alone. I don't know what you're going through, but none of us have gone through what Job went through. I hear stories all the time. I get the vantage point of being in a different place every week. I talk to teenagers in, in, in different youth ministries and school settings and organizations every week. And I hear, I hear tremendous stories. I heard the story of a young girl out of Indiana just uh, about two months ago, right before the holidays, three months ago now. This is my 34th year in youth ministry. I've never heard this story before. I've never heard a, 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 a more sad, abusive story in a 15-year-old girl. I don't know what your story is, but hear me, God can handle it. There is nothing God cannot handle. And when we look at what happened to Job, we see then his response. Look at the end of the chapter. It says this in verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and complained. Right? Is that what it says? Oh, hold it, I'm sorry. No, I got ahead of myself there. Um, Verse 20 again, let me see if I can get this right. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and blamed everyone else. No? Ah, okay, I think I can get this right. Verse 20, I'll slow down. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and sat in despair. Oh, I'm sorry. I was reading from your Bible. I love you. Verse 20, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, right? The Lord has blessed. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. You know, just a few moments ago, you raised your hand when pastor said, you know, how many of you have a need? And, you, and, I, and I looked from my 
where I was standing over there and half the crowd raised their hand and needed God to do something in their life. I want you to know, I don't care what situation you're in, God is going to speak into your life this morning and give you a suddenly and help you to respond the same way that Job did. Somebody else taught us a lot about suffering. This is the Old Testament and, uh, and Job. I want to back up. Look at Paul in the, in the New Testament. Let me just read to you about Paul. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but never destroyed. You ever felt that way? I mean, I mean, this from Paul. Paul wrote half the New Testament. Paul, some say, C.S. Lewis, one of the great theologians of our day, said that Paul was the greatest Christian to ever live. Here's Paul again in 2 Corinthians 11. I speak as a fool. Paul. I speak as a fool because I've been in labor, in stripes, in prison, in deaths more frequent. Five times received 39 stripes, beaten with rods three times, shipwrecked three times, a night and a day in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils, you ever had a bad day? In perils of my countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and amongst even the false brethren. I've been weary and toil. I've been in sleeplessness, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. And yet, I mean, think of that. Look at that list. At the end of that list, he says, and yet there's something greater. And I'm thinking, Whoa, no, let's just stop right there, <laughs> right? I don't know if, you've, if, if you could even put your list next to that list. I mean, the last thing you want to do is to get to heaven, right? And show up at heaven's cafeteria. Grab your tray, right? You see there's Paul, and you go over there, and you sit down, right? And, and it's like, hey, hi, I'm Jeff. I'm from America. Man, it was rough, I mean, they, they called me names. <laughs> I mean, at school, I didn't want to bring my Bible. I was so embarrassed, but wow. I mean, I made it. I made it. Right. You're talking to Paul. Paul would probably get up from his table, right? <laughs> cool, I'm a little American, cool. And go sit by Job and go, <laughs> guess who just showed up? Right? And Job's like, another American, <laughs> He says, beside all of this stuff, there is the deep concern that I have for the church. See, what Paul was saying is, let's put this into perspective. Let's put life into perspective. All of this other stuff means nothing in comparison to the kingdom of God. I don't know what it takes to get there. I so want to be there. I want to be able to say, God, you see what I've gone through. Listen, I am not the poster child for suffering. You are not the poster child for suffering. 
We live in America. Teenagers, this should be the greatest days of your life. Mom and dad, we live in a free country. We have jobs. We have blessings. We just got out of Christmas where we blessed each other and gave to. We live in America. The poorest of us in the room are in the 90 percentile of the rest of the world. Where is our concern for the kingdom? Listen, I'm not thinking about the 34 years that I lost. I'm thinking about the 34 years that I gained. See, I don't think anybody in the room has ever had the love that I had. But I'm not thinking about what I lost. I'm thinking about what I found. When I look at Paul and I look at Job, it levels the playing field. When I look at Jesus and what he undeservedly went through, it levels my playing field. I want to give you two principles. In, in the book, I have nine chapters. Each one is a principle. It's actually a tweet that Job would tweet to millennials today. It's kind of written for young, this younger generation and level the ground. I mean, what would Job say if he had a Twitter account today? I want to give you two of them. N number one, let me, let me just uh, break these down, and then we're, we're going to spend some time in prayer. First, I believe that Job would say that you should never do hardship alone. You should never do hardship alone. There are, all, there are so many one another texts in the Bible. There are so many moments in the Bible where other people have ministered to the community, the community around, the, the university around you of learning and strength. When one person can't, can't hold up, another person comes to them and and carries them along the way. When one person is, is caught under this stress and this, this difficult, another person comes and lightens the load. Never do hardship alone. Some of the greatest moments of my life in the last two years have come from people who have spoken into my life now. There are people in my life because I didn't isolate myself there are people in my life who still contact me two years later every week. I've said to them, you don't have to call anymore. I'm doing okay. One of my best friends calls me every week. I have another friend who calls me every month. How are you, how are you doing? Are you good? Talk to me. I'm like, dude, I'm great. I'm great. You don't have to keep calling. I, I know. See, God did something in Scripture that we aren't taking advantage of. He gave us brothers and sisters. You will never, hear me, you will never see the fullness of God if you are not in community with other believers. You'll never see. God, God is defined by the people around us. The diversity in this room. How many know God is not just your God? He's not just the white God today in a, in, in a diverse, you understand Jesus wasn't white anyway. <laughs> Sorry to blow your mind, but God is able to be whoever you need him to be because he, can, he can't be somebody he is not. 
And I believe oftentimes God works through the community of believers that are in his kingdom. If you isolate yourself from others, you will never see the fullness of God. One of the things that I've learned, I want to read this to you. One of the things that I've learned, I learned from Corey Tembum. Some of you know the story of Corey Tembum who wrote My Hiding Place, uh, The Hiding Place. Um, she was abused in the uh, prisons of Auschwitz. A phenomenal story, spent m- most of her life in prison, undeservedly in prison. And as she began to chronicle that journey and, and put down uh, journal entries uh, every week for years and years and years in the prison, it became the book that now many of you have probably read, maybe you've heard of. If you haven't, you, you need to get this book. And in this book, Corey is writing about the people that were around her who abused her and the guards who, who treated her like trash and the other prisoners who would complain and die in bitterness. And she said these words. Listen, if God grants me the, the chance to be delivered from this prison someday, I will dare to visit it again and go back to every prison cell and bring freedom to those who abused me, who are bound in this jail. There is something about doing life with those who are around us, even if they've hurt us. I know that takes a a mature person to be better and not bitter over things. Most of us need a better perspective and the people we hang around create that perspective, don't they? I have friends I'd go to war with and then I have friends I wouldn't enter into war with. I've had youth leaders around me. I've had young people. There are young people that I would die for. I would go to battle with all day. Derek is a man, okay, the drummer. Derek is a man. I would go to war with Derek. There There are men in this room that I would go to war with. But then there are other people who you want to send off to war. (laughs) Snowflakes. I believe God has created around you people who could become your greatest strength. I believe God has set people in your life to help you through what you're going through. Do not isolate yourself from them. Let me go to the second point. I believe Job would say to us this morning, Sometimes we see the loss in a story. Too often we see the loss in a story. And we do not see the gain that is so obvious. A 14-year-old girl came up to me at the end of a meeting She'd given her life to Christ and she was telling me all the things that had happened in her life. And she was going over all these abuses and things that I couldn't even believe for a, you know, a middle school girl. And then she told me this story about her parents and, and how she had been abused by uncles and all of this stuff. And, and now her boyfriend, you know, and then story after, and now she'd given her life to Christ. 
I could see it in her eyes. And she said, would you just pray for me that I could be a witness to all of those people? And I'm like, yeah, are you kidding? Yes. And we prayed together and cried together. And I sat there. And I thought to myself, how many, how many middle schoolers are more mature than adults today? And I saw this come. And she said this to me. She said, don't cry for me. She said, don't cry for me. Things are bad now, but I know in the end, things are going to be good. Because God is good. And even though it's tough right now, I know that if it's tough now, it's not the end. Because in the end, it'll be okay. And I thought, what a truth from a middle school girl. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know what was most impacting to me? That that little girl, after telling me all of that story, that little girl told me those words from her wheelchair. Totally unfair. Totally unjust. And yet rising from the ashes of her life comes this simple truth that God is good and he can't be nothing else. God cannot be somebody he is not. Built within the nature and the character of God is this simple little phrase as John described him. God is love. God is not fleeting. He's not here today and gone tomorrow. Paul even said, he is the same yesterday, today. And his, God's theology hasn't changed because of your situation. The reality and the character and the nature of God hasn't changed because you're in a tough, difficult situation. It has only given you the ability to see God work something greater in you because God does his greatest work in the midst of our greatest need. If you've ever been an artist or you're a writer, or you're a musician, or whatever. Sometimes it takes a while to get to the perfect work. We call it the magnus opus. The greatest work of the artist. Do you realize that you are God's magnus opus? You are his greatest work. The mountains are not his greatest work. The oceans are not his greatest work. The stars are not his greatest work. You are his magnus opus. And sometimes it takes a while to get to the magnus opus, doesn't it? I, I'm a writer. I love to write. In writing this book, it was such great healing, but there were so many moments I got stuck. And I would write something and go, no, and I'd highlight it and delete it. Or maybe you've written, right, in a journal and you didn't like those words. And you rip it, right, you throw it away and rip it up. You go through a whole pad of paper to come up with one, one nice poem. You see, that's what happens in life. I have a friend who's a painter. And he paints in front of thousands and thousands of people. He, he paints on two, big tours and Eric Samuel Tim is his name. And Eric has this way of creating things in front of a crowd that mesmerize them. And he'll start with this huge canvas. And he'll start throwing paint up while this music is playing. And, and he'll start putting this stuff together with his hands. And then maybe a brush and something else. And this mess. And as you're watching it, you're thinking, what is that? I remember seeing Eric for the first time and look, watching him paint. And thinking to myself, I could do that. 
And then at the end of this 10 or 12 minutes of painting, right, the, the music it, it hits, there's a moment there, right? And Eric looks at it, and he looks at the crowd, and he takes this canvas, and he spins it, and he turns it upside down. Well, upside right. And you see this beautiful painting and realize that at the time, he was painting upside down. And only when you got the right perspective did you realize what he was doing. God is the same way. Sometimes God is doing this and he does this and he cuts that and Somebody comes in and does this and under God's watchful eye over your life, right? And you're, you're thinking this, God, where are you? And you're thinking how, why? This, this isn't God. I thought the same things. But when we realize that we are God's magnus opus, we have to realize that sometimes it takes a while for the artist to produce his greatest work. You just have to give him time. I want you to take your hand and put it out in front of you, all of you. Can we go to Children's Church for a minute? Come on, sir, big bad dude, right? Just put it out there. That's your problem. And with that problem out here, I can see all of you. I can run an obstacle course and not trip with that problem set way out here. I can drive in my car, put, that, put this way out in front of my windshield. I can still see. I can see the lights change. I know where to turn. I can walk up to someone and meet them and speak to them and still see their face, right? But when I take that problem and I place it right in front of my face, all I can see is the ceiling and the floor. And if I were to take myself and do that while I'm running through a, a maze, an obstacle course, I, I would crash and if I were to walk up to you and say, hi, hi, my name is Jeff, what's your name? It would be very impersonal. If I were driving my car like this on the way home from church today, we would hear sirens all across the city. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what most of us do. We take our problem, and instead of leaving it into perspective, we place it right in front of us, and it's all we focus upon. And we wonder why we can't see God. See, God is playing chess while we are playing checkers. Checkers is easy as a move here, and it's a skip here, and maybe a double jump. But when God plays chess, he sees every piece on the board, and he sees what's going on in your life way out here in this perspective, and if you'll just trust him, you will see God do something you had never seen before. Look at the rest of this. Look at all the way back to Job 42, and I'll close. Will you stand, please? Look at Job 42. This is the very last chapter, the end of the story. You know, Job's friends have come to him, and I, I, I mean, I've kind of gone through this quickly, and there's so much to it, so many things to learn. But in Job 42, at the very end, I want you to see this very simple principle that there is a gain in every story. Listen, God knows how to get glory out of every, situ every situation. 
God knows best how to glorify Jesus in your life, no matter what you're going through. You just have to give him a chance. In Job 42, God had just been speaking and encouraging Job in like 38 to 41. 80 questions. I've counted them. Not 79, not 81. There's 80 questions that God brought to Job. Like, do you think that I can't handle your situation? Look at the stars. Could you do that? Did you teach the eagle how to soar on currents? Did you tell the oceans to come this far and no more? Tell me, Job, if you think you understand. Did you place the stars into place and tell the moon to rise, uh, tell the sun to rise and tell the sun to sit? Did, did you tell the constellations where to move in order? Have you said to the woman when she can birth? And Job puts his hand over his mouth and goes to chapter 42 and this is what he says. Now, now, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ears. All of my life, I've heard this. But today, my eyes see. Some of you have heard the words, God is faithful. God is good. God can handle it. You've heard me say that this morning. I've come here to tell you that's not enough. You can't hear it. You got to see it. On the night before Jane passed, before she went into a coma, and she was in a coma for 18 days, and we could speak no more. On the night before that, she said to me, he's done with me. I said, no, no, honey, he's not done. And she put her hand on me. She said, no, he's done with me. I have fulfilled my dash. You see, she was born in 1962. She passed in 2015. I was born in 1963. I'm still fulfilling my dash. Every single one of you who were born in the 2000s or the 90s or the 80s or the 70s or the, do I need to keep going? The 60s. And the, every single, yes, every single one of us have a dash. The time we have left, it's not a dash for cash. It's not about the honey or the monies or the funny. The dash is what you do with your life. And Jane simply said, he's done with me, but he's not done with you. That night she went into a coma. And I did the same thing every morning for 18 mornings. I would lay my hands on her. And at night I would pray for her and read scriptures to her. And then in the morning I would lay my hands on her, get on my knees and I would say, God, I know you can. I did that for 18 mornings in a row until the last morning. I woke up and she was not breathing. And she had slipped into heaven. I walked around the bed and I did like I did every morning. I got down on my knees and I put my hands on her and I said, God, I know you can. And I got up next to her and I lifted her up and I put her lifeless body on my shoulder. And I prayed it again. I said, God, I want to dance with her. And I swung her legs. I don't want any regrets. I swung her legs off to the side and she, she, her lifeless body was up against me. And I said, God, I know you can. Please. 
and nothing. I set her back down in bed. And as I walked out, talked to my kids, I said these words. God, I know you can, but if I never see the can, I know you. I may not have her for the next 34 years if you tarry. I told my kids, but we have you. I don't know if you can say that this morning. I don't know if what you're going through, it's too difficult or too heavy, but I've come here to tell you this morning, he can handle it. Because he handles every situation the same way. With his presence. Someone has said, where was God when? How come God allowed? If God were good, he... The only thing God's promised you is his presence. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. I know you have needs. You raised your hand. Half of you raised your hands in this room just a few moments ago. Hear this. Job says, now I see it. And at the end of the story, God gives back to Job, double everything that he had before and more. Do you see that sometimes it takes a while to see the greatest work? See, the greatest work in Job's life wasn't at the beginning when God said he was a great man. Because God saw some things in Job's life and the rest of this story that, that made God respond to him in an even greater way. Right? God at the end said, Wow, it is true. I mean, I, I, we serve a God who thinks like us. Do you understand that? In every way, Jesus was like us. I believe at the end of the story that they both, they both looked, that the Holy Spirit was ho holding Job up and they looked at him and said, wow, let's bless him. How about you? How are you going to respond in your situation? We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.